So um, we're, we're going through the vision of the church, the discipleship plan of the church, are the same thing. Uh, you've seen the little logo with the, the tree with roots and the, you know, the six words going around it in a circle. Um, it's important that we understand what that is and what that means. Um, we view it both as the vision of our church, but also the discipleship plan of the church. And so um, today we're looking at community and growth. And so you see it behind me there. We're looking at community and growth. So um, these two points are, are actually connected, um, and they're connected in ways that many of us don't realize. Um, or, or, to be honest, and worse yet, maybe sometimes we prefer to ignore. Um, community, what we mean by community, and I'll explain this a little more later, is um, connection. That we want to grow relationally, okay? That we should care for one another. We should never feel isolated or do things in isolation. That the idea of the Christian life in isolation would be silly to us. You know, the world has convinced us that we can do fine on our own. And in fact, um, the world preaches independence uh, as a virtue, as a, as a strong virtue. In fact, the more independent you are, the better off you are. And so uh, what we hear so often is that if you, if you ask for help or if you need help or if you rely on others, then in some way there's a weakness within you. But as followers of Christ... I mean, every single Christian throughout history acknowledges that we have some that we have a dependency on Jesus. Right? Every single Christian in the world throughout all of history has said, "You know, I need Jesus. It's not just that I want Jesus; it's I need Him. I rely on Him. My faith is in Him because without Him, I have no hope." So we recognize that we are hopelessly lost in sin and must depend on Jesus to save us. But we fail often to recognize how much we need other Christians as well. We fail often to recognize how much, not only do we need other Christians, but that how much we need our local church. Not the church in general or, or Christians around the globe that, that might encourage us or, or, or we might meet in passing, but our local church who prays for, us, prays for us and cares for us and bears our burdens and we confess our sins to and we sing with and pray with and serve with. We need one another. And that's not just me saying it because I'm a pastor of a local church. That, that's me looking at the scriptures and seeing what they have to say about community. So, Let's look at what the scripture says about community. And, and really, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 is probably the best picture of community, uh, community within the church in the Bible. So, Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 42, uh, it says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together 
and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. So to give you a little context, uh, Christ has, has already lived his life. He has already been crucified. He resurrected, and then he lived on earth for 40 days. And then after Christ ascended into heaven, right? We, we looked at the Great Commission last week, and that occurred on the very last day of Christ's time on earth. After that, we have, excuse me, after that we have the... Um, we have Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit arrives and kind of this spiritual explosion occurs and Peter preaches his incredible sermon. And, and, and so that's, that's all already occurred just, just a couple of weeks before. And so this is the, really when the church comes together and this is how they respond to the resurrection of Christ and the arrival of the Holy Spirit and the apostles just having this, this incredibly uh, spiritual power of preaching and serving in ministry. So as people are coming to Christ, this is what they're doing. They're gathering together, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread. They're going to the temple. They're meeting in each other's homes. They're sharing food. They're helping, helping the poor. That's, that's their, their initial response to a faith in Christ and the church coming together. This is how they respond. It's a beautiful picture of, of the early church. It's a beautiful picture of their community. It's a beautiful picture of their love. But in reading this passage, one of the questions that always comes up is why? Why'd they do this? Is it just because they all got along? They're all good friends and good pals? Is it just that, that it, it was just a coincidence and things kind of, one thing led to another and next thing you know, they're all meeting in each other's houses and it's, and it's just a great time? They're, they're getting through some festivals and celebrations, so is this just kind of a continuation of those celebrations? Or is this something that is commanded by the Scriptures? Is this something that they were told to do because it's right? We know, by the way, that that last option is the correct option, if you didn't get that, that this is, this is what is expected of the church. That we are to have a strong, loving community. That the Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolation. It wasn't designed that way. We know we should aspire to be like the Church of Acts 2. But what biblical principles teach us this? Other than just the demonstration, knowing that that's how the early church did it. Matthew chapter 22 Verses 36 to 40 is what we call the Great Commandment. So last week we had the Great Commission. This week we're going to look at the Great Commandment. And let me read it for you. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 22, starting with verse 36, says this, Teacher, which is the Great Commandment in the law? And he said to them, this is talking, Jesus says this, okay? He is Jesus. So he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the Great and First Commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus said that the greatest commandment of all is that we are to love God. To paraphrase our Lord, he says, love, love the Lord with everything you have, with everything you are, with all your might, with everything you are, you are to love your God. That's what Jesus is saying. Love your God with everything. 
But there's a second thing that you need to do. There's a second commandment. By the way, Jesus, Jesus inserts this. He's not quoting from a commandment here. He's telling them this is kind of something new. He says, but the second greatest is like the first, and that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. We're to love our neighbor. We're to love other people so much that their needs should be viewed as our needs. When my neighbor is hungry, I should view that as though I am hungry. When my neighbor needs help, I I should view that as as my need. Now think that through for a minute. Following your need for, for God is your need for other believers. So what we're seeing, we need the Lord to love him, to worship him. Not, not just respect him or revere him, but to worship him. But that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. You know, it is also true in that statement that we are to be loved by our neighbors. And that's not something that is just good for us. It's something that we need. It's something that we rely on. It's how the Christian life is designed. Not understanding this really can weaken our faith. Failure to understand our need for community shows really that we've been more influenced by our culture than we'd like to admit. Because again, culture will tell you, the world will tell you, look, that independence is a virtue. Independence is good. You know, just the the kind of... uh, strong, independent guy who can do everything on his own, like every John Wayne movie ever made, right? That that's who we're supposed to be. Nothing against John Wayne. I hope I didn't offend anybody, right? That that's who we're supposed to be, this rugged cowboy who does every single thing on their own. That's not what the Scripture says. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to be loved by our neighbors, rely on them, bear one another's burdens, as we'll see. Look, in many ways, let me illustrate this. Um, technology really allows us and opens a lot of doors for us to isolate ourselves. There are a lot of good things about technology. We can, I can type up a gospel message in Billings, Montana, and I can shoot it over to South Korea because of, because of technology. It's wonderful and great in a lot of ways. But it also allows us to isolate ourselves. It allows us to replace face-to-face human contact, human interaction with things like emails and texts and telecommuting, uh, telecommuting and e-banking and shopping online and, and all of that stuff, social media. We can watch worship services online instead of attending them. I just get on YouTube and, and, and see what these incredibly talented preachers and worship teams are doing, and I can say, you know what, that's my worship. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to get out of my pajamas. I'm going to go to worship on YouTube today. Because of the influence of of technology and social media and other forms of this, for the first time in history, personal interaction with other people can really, in a lot of ways, and increasingly so, become unnecessary. I just realized, did you know that you can have your groceries delivered to you? This fascinates me. Like, I I could get, just on my phone, I can decide and I could go to Costco on my phone and I can have everything that Costco has delivered to my door. I've not done it yet, but I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of tempted. Think about that. What what that does is that that allows me to cut off personal interaction. 
seeing people in the community in the grocery store. This is something that everyone has done forever, going to the markets and getting food or whatever it is you had to do. We don't have to do it anymore. Now one person can deliver it to me. E-banking. My bank is in Texas. I don't go to a bank. So I, I, don't have to talk to, I don't talk to a teller or anything like that. Instead of calling and wishing our friends or family a happy birthday, you, you know, mash that little button on Facebook that says, wish, your, wish him a happy birthday. You go see her, talk to your friend after a big trip or after a big accomplishment. It's, um, your Siri's <laughs> I activated your Siri. Go away, Siri. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm speechless for once in my life. <clears throat> but here's the thing. Um, church, for a lot of people, is no different. And, and this, is, um, this is not a problem of those individuals. Look, there are a lot of people that will drive to church alone. They'll, they'll fail to interact with others in the congregation. It's just difficult to, to connect with them in, in a real genuine and honest and meaningful way. They'll listen to the sermon. They'll, they'll, they'll worship and, and sing along in the songs. And then they'll drive home by themselves or just with their family. And that's the end of their spiritual life. That's the extent of their church life, at least until the next weekend. There's no reaching out or relating to or, or living life together with other believers. And no one from the church is, is reaching out to them either. They, they give a warm smile and, hey, how are you? And, and that's the end of it. Why is that a big deal? How do we know that God's plan is for his church to live in a close, intimate community? How do we know that isolation is not how God wants us to live? How do we know it's unbiblical? How do, I, how do I know that it's wrong for me to say, you know what, I don't need a church, I'm going to stay home, and I'm, I'm going to watch a great pastor, listen to great music, I'm, I'm going to do all of that stuff, I'm going to pray and read my Bible all by myself, because I don't need a church, I don't need the drama, I don't need the difficulties, I don't want to get out of my pajamas. Let me give you a couple of reasons. And I could go on and on. And so if you have some ideas, feel free to share them with me after the service, or, or if you want my list, I'll give it to you. But first of all, we know this is wrong because the world sees God work when Christians love one another. When Christians love one another, the world sees God work. We see this in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When we relate to other believers, we show what it means to be his disciples in a way that we can't do alone. When you love me and you demonstrate that love to me, then what we're doing is we're demonstrating the, the love of God to others, to others who see it and watch it and are aware of it in a way that, that I can't do by myself. Okay, so, so we're demonstrating kind of a, a, a unique dimension of God's love by the way that we love one another, the way that we care for one another. Expressing the life of Christ to, to another form of relationships is, 
the way, the way the church interacts and the way the church loves each other is unlike any other area in society. And, and look, I, I've been to college. I have great college friends. I've been in the army. I, I, I have great army buddies. We went through a, a lot of terrible things together. Right? We'll be friends for life probably. But none of that comes even close to the church. Not even close. If we ignore Hebrews 10.25, which is the command that, that says not, you know, not neglect, don't neglect to meet together, then we miss one of our greatest opportunities to show Christ's love to the world. Isolating ourselves from others and assuming that we can live the Christian life alone is withholding the love of Christ from the world in a unique way. One of the most immature things that a, a Christian will convince themselves is, is saying, I, I don't need a church. I can read my Bible. I can read Christian books. I can follow incredible preachers. I can listen to Caleb or, or great musicians. I can support missionaries on my own. I, I can do all of that stuff. I can, I can find great parachurch ministries. I can send my kids to the, to the best youth ministry in town. I can do all of that stuff on my own. I don't need other Christians. I don't need accountability. I don't need leadership. I can create community on my own with no commitment to myself. Christians do that all the time. They take that approach all the time. But doing that ignores, well, John 13 and Hebrews 10, just to name two. It's ignoring the Word of God due to selfishness and pride. And look, we, we don't, as Christians... We do not get to ignore God's word in favor of our own sin. And we certainly have no right to justify it with statements like, well, I don't like to wake up earlier, the music isn't what it used to be, or my kids you know, need a better youth program, or I'm not being fed, or, or whatever, whatever the excuse might be. We've heard them all. We've come up with them even. We, we don't get to make those decisions. We don't get to say, you know what, God, I, I, know, that, I know that your word says this, but I'm going to redefine it, and I'm, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, you know, I'm going to apply it to my life in a way that, the best way that I see fit. Because that, that doesn't work for me. The way, that, the way that you intended it doesn't work for me. That's pretty arrogant. It is, but we do it. Here's another reason. Regardless of your strength, you cannot bear your burdens alone. You can't do it. This world is broken. This world is full of sin. This world is full of pain. And we will seek support and encouragement somewhere. We will. We'll ask for help, ask for guides. We'll, we'll, look, to, we'll look to share our burden and, and, and kind of relieve it as, as we express our pain. Who better to help, help us carry our burdens than other believers? Than other believers who, who can listen and who love us and who can say, look, I, I understand that this is difficult. I understand that there doesn't seem to be any end to it. I understand that this might even seem hopeless. But don't look at things from, from this perspective. Look, look at this from, from the perspective of eternity. Our hope is not in this world. Our, our hope is in Christ and in the life to come. Who better to help us through our difficult times in this life than someone who understands where our hope resides, who understands that, that our citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. 
and who can pray for us and care for us and, and help follow up. That's a part of, of what we do as a church, as Christians. Who better to help you through difficult time than those, those whose hope is in the God of heaven? We rely on Christ. And by the way, bearing one another's burdens is not an option for us. It's something that is expected of us in the Word of God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is not a recommendation. This is not just you know, a, a good, wise tidbit that would, that would help us in our daily walk. This is something the Word of God is telling us to do, telling us as the church, as the followers of Christ, bear one another's burdens. Love your neighbor as yourself and, and help them deal with their pain. Number three, the third reason is we have a responsibility to do the work of the ministry in order to build up the church. This is Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As some claim, or, or just as some live their life proclaiming, that community isn't necessary, Scripture flat out disagrees with that, that approach. Ephesians 4 shows us the responsibility of, of church leadership. The, the church leadership is to prepare the church for ministry. So we prepare the church for ministry in order to strengthen the church so more ministry can take place. So uh, what we do as church leaders is, is we prepare you so that you are then loving others, <laughs> excuse me, loving others, loving your neighbor, sharing the gospel in, in radical ways. You're, you're doing evangelism, you're, you're, you're loving people, caring for people, worshiping publicly, which means more people come to Christ. More people worship our Lord. That's our job as leaders. Our, our, our primary responsibility isn't to be concerned with the sell of land or, or working on buildings. It's, it's part of it, don't get me wrong. But our primary responsibility is, is preparing the church for ministry. And that's what we'll be held accountable for. And that requires community. That requires that we do this together. That requires teaching and, and caring and loving and bearing burdens and praying for and spending time in the scriptures. That's, that's gospel living is what that is. Every church leader in the entire world today is, held, is, is responsible for this. Building up the body of Christ. That's community. And community is important because that's how Christ designed the church. So I don't get to say, you know what, Jesus, you're great and you're my God and I worship you and thanks for saving me from my sins, but I, don't, I think you failed in how you designed your church. I think your bride is pretty ugly and I don't like her and I don't want anything to do with her. Again, that's arrogance, isn't it? Community matters. The church matters because... Christ loves the church. 
Let's talk about growth. The church's role after leading someone to Christ, we talked about that last week, we talked about faith, coming to faith, and then a, a growing faith. The church's role after leading someone to Christ, as we just saw in Ephesians, that we call that discipleship. We want to help you grow and increase in your faith. We want to to teach you doctrine and truths so that you can apply it to your life and you know more about God and you can share the gospel with others and lead them to Christ and do incredible things for His glory. So when we say growth, we do not mean numerically. Growth, numerical growth, is not a part of the vision of this church. That's fine, it's good. More people hear the gospel, more people become a part of this community, that would be wonderful. But that's not our top priority. We're talking, when we say growth, what we mean is spiritual growth. We want to see you grow in your faith. We want to see you grow in your love for Jesus. We want to see you grow relationally with the people that, that are your church. And let me share, let me explain um, where a majority of spiritual growth comes from. What we're going to do is we're just going to go through kind of a list and we're going to look at some scriptures that talk about this. So how, how do we grow spiritually? Okay, and this is, there's no reason for the numbering system here. It's, it's, just, um, it's just the way I wrote them down. First thing is putting away sin, 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Colossians chapter 3, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." Look, we're to hold one another accountable. That's, that's what we're seeing there. Sin matters. The sin is filthy. I, I use it, I sin, uh, this illustration that, that is stuck with my kids. Maybe it'll stick with you. Is, you know, when we're in sin, when we're, when we're in a, an awful sin, it's like a, 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 a bride at a wedding. And she's getting ready to walk down the aisle, and she's, she's in her fancy white dress, and she looks beautiful and everything is wonderful and everything is perfect and they spent hours and hours doing makeup and decorating everything and then it's as though she kind of walks through a pile of manure before she walks down the aisle that's kind of like a christian in sin this beautiful person who christ has saved and redeemed and then we get caught up in sin and we get filthy it's disgusting we must hold one another accountable and and let me just say that this is one of the most difficult aspects of the church community to put into practice. But sin must be lovingly, and I stress the lovingly, addressed. We can't see a brother or sister going down the path of sinfulness and then, and then just say, you know what, it's not my place to say anything. You know, you know what, that, it's not my business, I'll, <laughs> I'll stay out of it. No. Who, who, am I, who am I to judge? I, I, I wouldn't do that. I, I, think it's wrong. I think it's wrong, but who am I to judge them? That's not what the Scriptures expect of us. But at the same time, we have to do it with love. And our motivation 
must be to gently restore them. Not to legalistically point at them and say, you know, you're terrible and you're awful and you're probably not a Christian and I can't believe you would ever do that. It's, I can't believe you. I'm ashamed of you. That's awful. That's not lovingly or gently restoring them. Love doesn't blast people with legalism, but neither does it allow a brother to live in rebellion against God. And navigating that line is difficult. And to be honest with you, I've not always gotten it right. I'm not, I'm not the perfect picture, exi- uh, picture perfect example of, of doing this correctly. I don't always know the right way to address sin because I know it lives in me as well. I'm, I'm certainly guilty. And discussing the sin in other people is always difficult. You're, every single time you do it, what you're doing is, is you're, you're risking a relationship with that person. You don't know how they're going to respond. You, they might respond terribly. It might be awful. I mean, they, might, they might not appreciate it. They might notice sin in me, and it, and it ends up in an argument. It's difficult to navigate. going back to the words of Christ, love our neighbor as ourself. We must do it. But we must do it lovingly and gently. Go to, you don't have to go there right now, but Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 is, is the command to, to gently restore them, if you're wondering where that comes from. Calling a brother or a sister to repentance is difficult. It is, but it's a part of the Christian walk. And if we claim that we love our brother or sister and we allow them to pursue sinfulness, we allow them to go down that road, then we fooled ourselves because that's not love at all. The next way that we grow spiritually is uh, moving on from basic teaching, Hebrews chapter 5. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull in hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their, who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Uh, a lot of times when people read this, immediately what goes into their mind is the gospel, right? So they think, okay, so the gospel is, is milk and I need to move on to more serious things. That is not what it's talking about, okay? The gospel is not milk, okay? Everyone, mature Christian all the way down to the lost, need to hear the gospel regularly, okay? Let me just say that very clearly. But what this is talking about is, let's say you become a Christian and, um, you know, you put your faith in Christ and you love Jesus and, and next thing you know, you're, you're focused on morality, for example, which is a good thing. It, it's, it's obviously commanded to be a moral person, right? But that's all you talk about, doing all of these things, staying away from all of those. You know, I'm not going to get drunk. I'm not going to have sex outside of marriage. I'm not going to do any of these things because I'm going to be a moral person and that's all I care about. I'm focused completely, entirely on morality, And I'm never considering the Trinity. I'm never considering the divinity of Christ. I'm never considering the doctrine of adoption. Those are other things that the Scriptures teach us and that we have to understand as well. If I I get the Trinity wrong, that's a big deal. 
It, it matters, right? If I'm only focused on one thing, one thing that, that isn't absolutely vital, and, and again, morality is good and morality is a part of Christian teaching, but if I focus on that and that alone, and I neglect all the other areas of Scripture, all the other doctrines that God has revealed to us, then I'm not on solid food. I'm on milk. And we have to spend time in God's Word if we want to grow spiritually. I was looking, sometime around the New Year, I, I saw this, um, this statistic that on average, if, if a person wants to read the Bible in one year, the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, if they want to read the entire Bible in one year, it takes a little over nine minutes a day of reading. Did you know that? I didn't know that until just this New Year. <clears throat> but reading the Bible in one year is typically seen as kind of a difficult thing. However, nine and a half minutes of reading isn't that difficult. I, I would bet that most of us, if not all of us, spend more than 10 minutes a day reading the news, reading some sort of social media, right? I, I think that's fair. But reading the Bible in a year requires nine and a half, ten 10 minutes a day of reading God's Word. If we're unable to read God's Word and study it and know it and, and get into it, I'm not saying you have to read the entire Bible every single year. There are other ways to read the Bible. <clears throat> but what is important is that we're in God's Word. We cannot expect to grow spiritually if we're not reading the Bible. How on earth would you ever expect to grow spiritually if you're not reading what God gave you to grow? Oh, I understand reading isn't fun for all, so get Audible and download the audio Bible. That's great. Spend time in God's Word. Spend time in, in how He has revealed Himself. See what He says about Himself. I'm happy to preach. I'm happy to teach. I'm happy to invest. and I'm happy to spend hours and hours talking about the Scriptures. But I promise you, you reading the Bible is better than listening to me talk about the Bible. It is. We cannot... We cannot, it is impossible to grow spiritually, to grow the way we should be growing if we are not in God's word. It's, it can't happen. Another way that we grow spiritually is by persevering in faith. Second Peter chapter 1. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are, <laughs> are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Persevering in the faith. Trusting. And it doesn't make sense. And, and this is something that God gives us a supernatural ability to do, to trust and to rely on him. To, when, when life gets difficult or confusing and we don't have the answers, we, we, it's, it's fine to say, Lord, Lord I, I don't understand. Lord, this is difficult. Lord, this is hard. But I know you're good. I know you're sovereign. I know you're the God. I know you're the God of this, this world. It's okay to do that. In fact, a third of the book of Psalms are written in that same exact format. They're called lament psalms. Fifty of the psalms are called lament psalms. Now let's talk about relational growth. We saw some areas where spiritual growth happens. 
Let's talk about relational growth, and we'll, we'll close with that. <clears throat> First of all, it comes from love. John 13, we already read. Romans chapter 12, love one another with brotherly affection. <laughs> Excuse me, outdo one another in showing honor. John 15, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Relational growth starts with love. I, 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 I mean, it, that's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? We, we can't, we cannot grow relationally. We cannot have true biblical community without loving one another. That, that's a basic command of the scriptures. Love one another. Love your neighbor. Next one is true as well. Service. Mark chapter 9. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then finally, Matthew chapter 22. We'll read it again. And he said to him, You shall love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Service is a part of relational growth. Serving one another. If we love one another, we'll serve one another. If we care for one another, we'll serve one another. We'll put the needs of others above our own. That's a part of, of relationships. That's a part of, of being married. You serve your spouse. If you love your spouse, you'll serve them. If you love your children, you'll serve them. If you love your coworkers, you'll serve them. If you love your church, you'll serve your church. I'm not saying that we're failing in this area. Please don't hear me say that. But it, but it is a part of what is expected of us, and we should pursue this. Love and service to one another matters because community matters. All of this matters because the church matters to Christ. This, the local church, is how Christ designed us to live. The general church is great. The universal church is wonderful. That we can pack our bags and, and fly to a different continent and walk into a Christian church and have unity. That's beautiful and it's wonderful. But the local church is something different. The local, <laughs> local church is full of people who know me and know my needs and know my burdens and know how to pray for me and care for me and, and help me and serve me and vice versa. The local church matters. And I have to say, I'll close with this, I have to say that there's a low view in America of, it's called ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. The local the doctrine of the local church is being ignored by many, many Christians. It's ignoring things like loving your neighbor as yourself, bearing one another's burdens, praying for one another, confess your sins to one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. It's a command, don't kiss me, don't kiss me. We should care for one another because Christ cares for the church. Community and growth. We should grow spiritually. We should grow relationally. And as we do that, we should have community. By the way, that's why they're called community groups. So we, can, we can grow spiritually, but through the reading of the word and praying for one another, but we're also growing relationally. We're breaking bread and eating and laughing. We're telling jokes and and talking about how our day was and things that are going on at work and getting to know each other. That's why community groups are designed the way that they are. In fact, that's why they're called community groups. So if that community 
helps to grow our spiritual life, but also relationally, so that the church, the local church, you and me, us together, are more healthy and reflect how Christ designed us to be. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning, and thank you for the opportunity to worship you. God, we thank you that you are good and you are kind. God, we thank you that you gave us um, you gave us a church. You gave us a, a community to love and to serve and, and to be loved by and, and to minister with. God, we thank you that, um, that we're not left alone. God, we thank you that we have people to encourage us and to call us to repent. God, we, um, we know that we desperately need excuse me, that we desperately need a Savior. And we thank you that you have given us a church to point us to that Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we know that that none of us is perfect. None of us is flawless. Each and every one of us has sinned. But God, your church, your your church is your bride. And that together we glorify you and we worship you. We praise your name and we sing to you. We call one another to repentance. We help one another grow in our faith. We spend time reading and studying and teaching the scriptures so that we can know you and trust you more. So God, we we thank you for, for those that you have brought together here in this room. Not just for a service, not just for a show, but to be your church, to be your bride. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. We pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.